today. Aren't you having a great time? Isn't it great? Doesn't that pump you up when you see people following the Lord in believer's baptism? It's good stuff, isn't it? Are you glad you're here today? Well, good. Yeah, all these are, are just believers who've said, hey, I am saved by grace. And, and some of you may not be familiar with that terminology, saved or salvation. That means that God created us. We, we've all and he created us with free will, not robots, and we've all done things that are wrong. We've all violated his righteous standard. We violated the Ten Commandments, for example. But God in his grace has made a way for us that he has allowed us to avoid the consequences, the true, just, correct consequences for our wrongs, which is separation from God, we can avoid all that by putting our faith in Christ who died for us. And so this salvation, it's a pure, it, it's a pure gift. It, it's grace. Uh, we, we receive that. We don't earn it in any way. There's, there's nothing we can do. We can't earn it with good works. We can't buy it in any way, shape, or form. Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, he says, For by grace, this is the gift part, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And once we receive that free gift, that's an intensely personal decision that happens in our heart. And then God's told us that the next step for us really is that we would show that in a public way through believer's baptism. So we just want everyone to understand that's what it means to be a believer, is to be saved through grace. And it, it's kind of interesting to me because we're actually in a series on work, but our Christian life, our salvation is not based on any work at all. So I didn't want to cause any confusion. But right after Paul writes that, that salvation is by grace, that it's a gift from God, here's the very next sentence that he says. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. So by virtue of our creation, our, our purpose is that we would follow God, that we would live out our lives in a way that honors Him. That does not then earn us salvation, not at all. Salvation's a gift. But once we have salvation, once God has come into our lives, then we have this desire to live His way. So our relationship, our, our initial relationship with God, has nothing to do with good works. But our relationship with other people do involve good works. In the earthly kingdom, we are to work hard and serve others once we become a believer. And by the way, once we become a believer, truly nothing can ever change that. So we've been in this series called Don't Waste Your Work. And the first Sunday, we, we talked about how God works. And then God created us to work. And then not only that, God commanded us to work. And then last Sunday, Pastor Tim was, was going through Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, 
specifically, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. And so that's the purpose for God's work. And so we've been talking about since the major, major, the majority of our waking hours is spent working either at a job or around our homes, then we should know these principles, these truths about work so that we can live them out in in the largest portion of our life. And there are actually three more truths that I want us to get today, and that is basically what I want us to look at is the wisdom of work, hard work, the worship of hard work, and then also the attitude of hard work. So the wisdom of hard work is mainly taught for us in, in Proverbs. And God created us to work, and we should work hard. We get all that. And then Proverbs is a book in the Old Testament. It's called Wisdom Book. And basically, it gives us just a, a list of truisms, which mean things, how life generally works, how life usually works out, is how the book of Tro- Proverbs is written. And it has a lot to say about work. And in Proverbs, hard work or diligence is set against laziness, or the diligent is set against the sluggard. I mean, how many of you have heard that word before, the sluggard? I mean, that's pretty strong language, right? That's how Proverbs, the writers of Proverbs, put that. And basically, it teaches us in Proverbs that hard work or laziness, whether we do either one, they both have consequences for our life, and they can both become habitual, meaning you know, the more we do it, then the more we end up doing that. So it's habitual, has consequences. And so, and I know when I say, hey, sluggard, lazy, or hard work, discipline, I know probably everybody in here, you're thinking, well, I'm not lazy. I'm busy. But busyness doesn't exactly mean that you're not lazy. So, you know, I'm, I'm you know, we can be busy doing a lot of things. We can be busy playing video games, right? But that's not productive. And so really, it's our productivity. It's, it's what we do. So that's, that's really the question. So I'm going to list just a few of these, and there's a ton of them, so I'm just limiting to some. But Proverbs 14.23 says, In all labor there is profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. And, and the word labor here in the Hebrew is hard toil, laborious work, physical labor. And it's basically saying, hey, don't just talk, get after it, do it, make it happen. Proverbs 18.9 says, he who is slack in his work is brother to him who destroys. Here the writer is saying that uh, when we're not diligent in our work, when we're slack, that that's destructive, that's breaking things down, that's not contributing the way we should contribute. Proverbs 10.5 says, uh, He who gathers in summer is a son who acts wisely, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who acts shamefully. And so here we have this generational language, again reminding us that we should teach our kids, right, to work hard. It was really odd for me, so I got a confession, you know, confession time for the pastor. So two Sundays ago, I'm preaching on work. You know, we got to work, work, work. And then that afternoon, I left for vacation. 
So it's a little odd, you know, so I'm just throwing that out there. And, uh, but while we were talking, you know, I, uh, we were just talking about different things, and I had mentioned that we want to teach our kids to work, and I shared a story about, uh, about Toby, my grandson, but while we were gone, we were actually, so we missed the snow. So talk about great timing, right? We had the late April snow. We missed all that. We're actually down southern Alabama. Who knew? They have beaches, and you know, it's kind of cool down there. And when, but when we got back, we had some trees down on our property. We have kind of a tree line, and the branches were down. You know, my daughter calls me and says, it looks like a war zone over here. And uh, so we get there. We got back last Sunday night, and we started cleaning things up. Well, my son and his two sons came over, and uh, they're just like three and five. And then uh, Zach got out. He, uh, he keeps a tractor, like a 1940s Ford tractor, a little one at our house, which is actually a lot like the first tractor my granddad had. His very, when I say first tractor, I mean, before that he was using horses. But anyway, whole nother topic. But we pull out this tractor. Well, we're chaining up these things. And then Toby, who's five, drove the tractor to haul the trees and the branches back to the burn pile. And I thought that was pretty cool. And I had told a story kind of like that two weeks ago. Well, after the service was over, a couple of friends of mine Bob and Sue, they come up to me and they show a video of their grandkid. And here's what they showed me. This really ticks me off, by the way. Brittany's son, Nash, he's three. Who knew the world of grandparenting was so competitive? You know, I got to like up my game now. You know, I can't be just throwing out stories. You know, somebody's boom, one up on me like that. But here, here's another a verse in Proverbs. Proverbs 12, 11 says, he who tills his land will have plenty of bread, but he who pursues worthless things lacks sense. And so he's saying, hey, we ensure our income through hard work. But these worthless things here in Proverbs, this really means sort of the schemes to get rich quick. It's not like you're wasting your time. It's like you always have this plan how you're going to get money, a bunch of money, without really working very hard for it. And that's what he's, he's kind of setting in opposition to each other. And then the Bible teaches us that some people will even use irrational reasons to avoid hard work. So sometimes people will just use excuses. For example, here, here's one in Proverbs 26, 13. The sluggard says, there is a lion in the road. A lion is in the open square. Now, what's going on there is, yeah, there were lions around Israel back in those days, no longer, but very rarely is there really a line. He's just saying, hey, it's dangerous out there. Who knows what's out there? I don't want to go out there. I want to stay home. I don't want to go out there into the, into the world where it's messy and anything could happen and I could be killed. 
You know, and, and as far, you know, as, as much as we think that does not apply to us today, well, now all of a sudden we're in 2021 and we have this COVID thing going on. And even though a bunch of people have been, you know, I don't want to get into the politics, and I'm not saying we, we shouldn't pay attention to COVID, but I'm saying don't let, you know, and some people, you know, are more at risk, and I get all that. Just a caution here for believers. Don't let the COVID thing turn into an excuse not to engage in the workplace where, where God wants us. So we need to be careful with that. The next verse continues. It says, as the door turns on its hinges, so does the sluggard on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish, and he is weary of bringing it to his mouth again. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can give a discreet answer. So basically, the writer's just pointing out that the sluggard, the, the lazy person, they think they're wiser than everybody else. They think they have a plan, but they're really not because the wisdom is in hard work. Hard, working hard is wise is the whole point of these verses. Uh, Proverbs 10.26 says, and th- this is the last one, like vinegar, like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, you ever been at the campfire, smoke in the eyes? And smoke in the eyes, so is the lazy one to those who send him. It's just pointing out, hey, people who are lazy irritate other people, especially at work. You know, because people who are lazy, that's an irritant to everybody else, and we shouldn't be that way. Now, please understand what I'm saying. I, these are truisms. I am not saying that every rich person is not lazy. You know, there are exceptions, although most rich people, if they didn't inherit their wealth, they're usually not lazy, but not everyone. And I'm also not, the Bible's not saying that all poor people are lazy. Sometimes things happen that are out of our control, so we all get that. But the Bible's telling us that we should work hard to provide for ourselves and our families, and we're going to find out, and others. We should work like that. And we need to examine ourselves to make sure that we're doing that. And and, and I just got to tell you, in the balance of Scripture, God's answer to poverty is not forced redistribution of wealth. It's just not there in Scripture. God's answer to poverty is wealth creation through production. And, and I've, I've shared this, I think, before. There's a myth today that in our country that we're all here and we should all have the, you know, a slice of the pie and that the pie's only so big and if somebody has a bigger slice of the pie, then that forces somebody else to have a smaller slice of the pie and, and that's not fair. But that's actually not the way the economy works. In capitalism which we are blessed to have in our country, you work and produce, and the size of the pie grows, and it gets bigger, and everybody's slice can get bigger and bigger and bigger. doesn't mean they're all the same, but they all get bigger through what? Wealth creation, work, production, and that's God's better way. And as a matter of fact, you know, today everybody's talking about socialism and what they're talking about is that in, instead of capitalism. But capitalism 
has brought more people out of poverty around the world in the last hundred years than any other system in history. It's not even close. Go look at socialist countries. It's not even close. And we need to kind of balance what we're hearing with that. Uh, So today, the, the weird thing today is you can be considered a good worker just by showing up at the job. Because so many people aren't doing that. I mean, you just show up, you're a good worker today. But here's, here's what Scripture's telling us. When we slack off at work, or what I used to call in another former job, riding the clock, when you're just riding the clock, when you're slacking off, when you're getting paid to do something and you're actually not doing that work, you're doing something personal or you're doing something else, that's actually stealing from your employer. It could be a little different if you're on salary and you're working all the time. I get that. But, hey, if, if you're working and you're supposed to be doing this, but actually you're not doing that, that's like stealing. Here's the way Paul says it to the Ephesians. He says, He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Boy, this says a lot. Don't steal, work hard, provide for yourself, provide for your family, but also provide so you have enough to help other people. Now, well, what's going on here? Here's what's happening. People who are mentally unable to work or physically unable to work, we provide for them. Or somebody who's just in a hard time because things have shifted. But people who are simply unwilling to work We don't provide for them. We challenge them and motivate them because what they should be doing is working. Why? Because as Christians, we love people. So we want to take care of people. But if it's people who are just unwilling to work, we want to show them, hey, you should work. We want to teach them so they can stand on their own two feet, so they can have the dignity of earning money, earning wages, and being productive. We want that for them just like we want it for ourselves. So that's how we treat things as believers. Here, uh, for the last 10 weeks, I haven't really mentioned it since we kicked off, but for the last eight and a half weeks or so, uh, about maybe 200 guys in our church have done this thing called Fight Club, and that's just where they come out and, and they take on 10 weeks of challenges um, spiritual, relational, um, physical, and intellectual. And so every week there's a list of challenges, and and if you miss three, you're out kind of a deal. And so that's been going on. It's almost, you know, it's good for men of all ages, but it's almost like a rite of passage for younger men to kind of get things down, you know, right and be thinking the right way. Because it's hard. It takes time. It's inconvenient, which, which then requires something called discipline. Discipline. Discipline instead instead of laziness. Paul says it this way, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. I I remember uh, when I was in college, and this principle really kind of hit me, discipline, that as a believer I should be disciplined. So I was working full-time, going to school full-time, but then in the summer, because my full-time job was in the evening, I realized I could cut those hours back a little bit and get another full-time job, and then that would be part-time during the day. 
So I was out looking for a job, and, uh, and then a buddy of mine, it was a guy actually I knew from church who was a little younger than me and a little smaller than I was, and he said, hey, uh, my uncle is hiring uh, a laborer for construction. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll go. He goes, you know, I, I worked there a little while, but I couldn't do it. And so, you know, I, I called the guy, and he said, yeah, he'd give me a try. And so here I am going to the, and, and I, 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 get, I get how this is playing out. I'm like, okay. I'm totally thinking, how, how is this going to be in the life of this non-believer? Here's a non-believing uncle who's hired his teenage nephew to do kind of a physical job, and the guy flamed out and couldn't do it. And so he's out, and now the uncle's kind of left in a lurch, and now I'm going to go give it a try. And I know the un- uncle's skeptical. You know, he's like, oh, great a church kid. You know, this is going to really be, work out fantastic. But he's going to give me a try, and I show up, and I'm feeling the weight of this. Here, here's what I'm thinking on the way to that first day. I'm thinking, okay, this guy's a non-believer, so for, most important thing is, is that he come to Christ, but his nephew, who's a Christian, sort of flamed out on him. And now he's hiring me, and the only thing he knows about me is I go to his church, that I'm a believer too. I got to get this right if I don't get this right, if I don't work hard for him, I'm going to feel like this guy is going to be even more turned off to Christianity. I'm starting, I, I'm, I'm kidding you not, I have a little pickup, I'm, I'm driving to work, and, and I'm thinking, wow, this guy's eternal destiny is like on my shoulders if I don't get this right. And I show up, and I have zero skills. I have not, this is a labor job, I, you know, and he's like, well, have you ever mixed mortar before? No, I haven't really done that. Have you ever run one of the machines? No, I haven't done that. Well, have, you ever, have you ever shoveled sand before? Yeah, I think I've done that. But, you know, and all, you know, I haven't done anything. And so he gets me started, and he, the first day he goes, Kevin, today is a little harder than it normal. I think he's not wanting me to be discouraged. Today's a little harder than normal. It's a little dirtier than normal. We're, we're doing something we don't always do. And involved me working for bricklayers. And by the way, the, the, he's going to leave. And the guys I'm working for, which are two bricklayers, they're looking at me like, you know, great. <laughs> you know, they are not impressed at all. But I'm feeling like this guy's salvation is on me. And so, man, I start working. I work and I work. The boss actually comes back later that afternoon. You know, he leaves, gets me started. He leaves, comes back. It's about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. He comes by and he tells me, he talks to the two bricklayers. He comes over to me and says, you're making another dollar an hour. He gave me a dollar an hour raise in less than one day. And I was like pumped up. You know, because I was like, wow, I worked hard, and this guy noticed. He wouldn't even hear, and he somehow knows that. You know, I was, and I'm thinking, wow, I'm doing, this guy now is closer to becoming a Christian rather than farther than becoming, you know, I'm like pumped up. I'm like, for the glory of God. You know, that's how we need to view our work, because sometimes we're the only Christians that people connect with, and I started there. The first thing he knew about me was I'm a Christian, That made a huge difference to me. And here's the thing. We are happiest in life, and you can study this in survey, we are happiest in life when we are working for something greater than ourselves, when we are working for a purpose that's higher than just us, when we're taking care of ourselves, yeah, but we've got a mission. You know, that's what God wants for us, and that's what makes us the happiest? I, I remember two weeks ago, I, so I'm, I'm starting on this, you know, and, I, and I'm, 
I'm talking, and I, I got on retirement last time, a couple weeks ago, which was bad. Yeah, it was bad. I mean, I had a guy walk out. It, a bunch of guys came up to me afterwards. One guy came out and said, I just retired on Thursday. I have had one day. You know, I had Friday retired. Boom. Come to, and now you're like, retirement? What's that all about? You know, and, and hey, we get it. We live in a country. First of all, sometimes we have jobs that we just can't keep doing mentally or physically, whatever. Just, just can't, can't always keep that work level up. But then the other thing is, we live in this country where we can work for 20 or 30 or 40 years, and if we're diligent, then we get retirement money. You know, and, and so, and, and that is great. And, and so we can shift. A lot of us, some in here, you've worked so hard for so long, you, will, you can retire and you no longer have to work to provide for your family. That's sort of covered. But here's what I'm telling you. Sure, golf more. Yeah, golf more. You know, do some things that you didn't have time to do, but stay productive. God is calling you to keep being productive as long as you can be. That's what God wants from you. Here's what Peter said. And by the way, you can do that right here at Grace. Here's the way Peter put it in 410, 1 Peter 4.10. As each one has received a special gift employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Here Peter's telling us, Peter, close follower of Jesus, Jesus gets arrested, Peter denies, flames out, terrible, goes south, Peter, then Jesus meets with Peter, kind of restores him, and then Peter dies for his faith. And this guy's telling us, hey, every believer, we've all been equipped with gifts from God. And these gifts enable us to serve him. And he's talking about the context of the local church. He's saying, hey, we all have a role to play in the church that we go to. And by the way, if you're a believer, you're supposed to be going to church. God's idea, not ours. And he's telling us we all have a role to play. That, we all have a part of that. That's what he's, we all have something to contribute. That's what he's saying. So hard work is not only wise, but hard work is a way of worshiping God. We worship God with hard work. We worship God by the way we live. Now, please hear me. God does not want you to worship your work. And some people do that. Do not worship your work. Your work is not number one. But rather, we see our work as worship to God. I remember as a teenager, um, back when I was kind of learning to discipline myself, you know, by reading the Bible, exercising, you know, and... and uh, praying to God every night before I went to bed. Uh, one of the verses I memorized was 1 Corinthians 10, 31. We're, we're, this is Paul telling us, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all, do all for the glory of God. He's telling us, no matter what you do, it's worship. It's the same concept that Tim was teaching us last week out of Colossians 3.23. Remember, it's the same thing. What, what he's telling us is 
as believers, we don't categorize our lives to, okay, here's my spiritual life, I do this on Sundays, and then here's my work life, I do on Monday through Friday, and then here's my, you know, the, the other life I live where I can do whatever I want on Saturday. No, he's saying, no, you don't categorize, you live all your life to the glory of God. That's what all these verses are telling us. Everything is transformed by our salvation. Once we become a believer, everything is for God. It's all worship. So what I'm saying is, hey, you can clean your house for the glory of God. You can work around your house for the glory of God. You can run a business for the glory of God. You can plant your field for the, wor- for, for the glory of God. Whatever you're doing, do it for God's glory. Work hard and do it for the glory of God. Because the people around you and the people who know you, they will take notice. And God's told us to live different. Jesus calls us as Christians to live in a different way. If most of our waking hours are spent working, either around the house or on the job, then we've, we've got to apply what Jesus says about us living differently to that part of our job. We need to live differently when we are working because that's what we mostly do, right? So let's apply. I'm going to go back and read some verses from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, his greatest sermon. But now, just rather than apply it and sort of put it into a spiritual realm, apply this to your work life, which is the biggest part of your life. Here's what he said, Matthew 5, 14. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. He's, what, what's Jesus saying? You as a believer, we, we are light in the world. And we are light to people, non-believers, that we come in contact with. And we need to be thinking that way at work, right? Right? Right. And I know some, some of you are probably thinking, well, you don't get it. The place I work, if I brought up Jesus where I work, they would laugh me out of the, out of the building. They'd run me out on a rail. It, it just like people would be falling down mocking Christ if I did that. Hey, here's what I'm telling you. The darker the place where you work, the brighter your light will shine. The darker it is, the worse environment that it is, you're saying, well, it's a cesspool there. Then the brighter your light, the same amount of light will shine even brighter there. Live different is what Christ is telling us. Here's what he says a little bit later in verse 16. He says, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. This is Jesus telling us, hey, work hard, live different, and it'll be a light to people. They will see what you're doing, and that will impact them for God. And he's... The whole point is he wants us to impact our world. 
especially when we work. How we work, or better I'll say, just working hard, will get people's attention. And so, you know, a lot of us were, not everybody, but a lot of us were raised, you know, work hard, work hard. That's not always attached to Christianity. Have you ever heard the phrase, at work, you know, when somebody's talking about working hard, say, go the extra mile? Hey, you need to go the extra mile. How many of you heard that phrase? You need to go the extra mile. You know that came from Jesus? That phrase came from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, here we go. Verse uh, Matthew 5, 41. Let me give you the context first, all right, because it won't make as much sense. So here's the deal. In first century Palestine, it's the Israeli people, and they are dominated by Rome. They're occupied by Roman forces. And so Romans there collecting taxes. And then there was a law during the first century, during the time when Jesus was ministering, that a Roman soldier could conscript any non-Roman citizen, any citizen who wasn't a Roman citizen of an occupant, he could grab that person and cause that person to carry his equipment one mile, a thousand paces, one mile. And so that's what they would do. So that means like if you're just a citizen, in, and, and by the way, the Jewish people that Jesus is talking to, they hate this. Because they're carrying their own stuff, they're carrying their grain, they're doing whatever they're doing. And if they come across a Roman soldier, which they would avoid like the plague, that soldier can say, you, come here, drop your stuff, here's my stuff. Oh, you were heading that way? Yeah, but I'm going this way. Now, you owe me a mile. And then you carry his stuff, you porter his stuff for one mile. Mandatory, you had to do that unless you're a Roman citizen. In that context, here's what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 41. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him two. I got to tell you, people did not like that. Whoa, whoa. Okay, Jesus, the enemy is here lording it over us. They can force us no matter what we're doing, inconvenient, make us work for them for one mile, and you're saying if that happens, go two miles? Like it, and, and so they didn't like it. And even the Roman soldiers were, could you imagine? Yeah, you. I said you. Hey, don't, don't look the other way. I'm talking to you. Yeah, drop your stuff. Here's my stuff. You owe me a mile. I'm heading this way. And then you got there a mile later, and the guy says, okay. And then you say, ah. And then he starts looking for somebody else. And you say, no, nah, I'll, I'll go another one. You know, what, the soldier's going to be like, what? You'll go another one? I can only make you go one. No, that's all right. I'll do two. He's saying, Jesus is telling us, live different in a way that people notice. And hard work will cause people to notice. That's what he's saying. I remember, uh, I told you about being in construction, and my uncle, you know, this guy's uncle and all that, Right? I just said that, right? Yeah. You know, because you know, I have no skills. This is how we apply that in our lives. We, we should work hard because it allows us to point people to Jesus. Here, here's the deal. Hard work and, and then the competency that that usually brings gives us credibility in the workplace. Does that make sense? When we're interacting with our co-workers, if they know us as a hard worker... 
if they know that we're competent in our job, that gives us credibility to point them to Jesus. That makes people want to listen. Now, on the other hand, if you're slacking off, cutting corners, just doing the very minimum all the time, sort of irritating all your other workers, they don't care what you have to say about Jesus. As a matter of fact, you start talking about Jesus, they'll see it as a negative, right? Hey, we need to, to use that. Whatever job you have, it matters. We need to work in a way that people appreciate our hard work, that they know we're faithful, that they can trust our judgment, that they know we work hard, that we're going to give them an honest day's work for a day's wage. And then we have that relationship. We use that relationship at work to impact them and to draw them to God. Just a lot of that Tim was saying last week. Working hard is wise. For believers, it's worship. And then we need to have the right attitude when we're working. And when I say that, I don't just mean, yeah, work hard. Yeah, we got that. We need to have the right attitude in that we shouldn't complain about work. You know, work's sometimes one of the favorite things that we complain about. Do you know the Bible's telling us not to complain about work? Paul teaches us this, and he uses the same imagery that Jesus did in the Sermon on the Mount, that whole, you know, your light of the world. He uses that same light imagery. Here's what he says in the Philippians 2, 14 and 15. And by the way, Philippians, that's the whole joy book, right? How we're supposed to have joy and everything. Here's what he says. Do all things, what about work? Do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you'll prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. He's telling us, don't complain. Don't be argumentative at work. Don't complain about work. Do your job. Be diligent. Be blameless in what you're doing. And then you'll be that light that we've been talking about. In the middle of a generation or a situation or a company maybe where people don't really value work, that they don't just have that same kind of work ethic, we lead the way on that. It causes other people to notice. So here's what I'm saying. Tomorrow, when you go to work... Again, another disclaimer, I'm a pastor, a lot of pastors, I actually take Monday off, so, you know, <laughs> so sorry about that, but a lot of you will be working tomorrow, so I'll be working on Tuesday, but anyway, so tomorrow, when you go to work, shock people by going the extra mile. Give them the second mile. When they say, do this, do that, and then some, and do it with a joyful attitude. Some of you are saying, I can't be joyful. You, know, you don't know how it is at my... Okay, well, we're told to be joyful. Don't complain. Don't grumble. You know, and, and you need to do that. Why? Well, it's impossible for me to do that. At my, okay, well, maybe you should look to shift to another job. Well, I don't want to shift to another job because all my retirement benefits are built up here. Well, then be joyful about your retirement benefits. You know, whatever it is. Go the extra mile. Make it happen. Be, be competent. Be a hard worker tomorrow. Go the extra mile. And if you do, 
you will represent your Savior well. And that's what he wants us all to do. Let's stand together. We'll pray. Father God, we thank you for your goodness. And we recognize that any good thing we have, any ability, any energy we have, any strength we have, any health that we have that helps us to work, that's from you. That's a gift from you. Lord, help us to work hard in our jobs as Christians to glorify you. Help us to point people to you. Lord, and if it seems dark and it seems difficult, we know you will make a way. God, thank you. In Christ's name, amen.